Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Okay, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Dad's Podcast. I'm here with my one of my besties, Dr. David Wardy. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Dr. Nick. How are you, my brother? Another another day in paradise, right? I'm ready for, for happy time right now. We have a teacher on today, right? We do. We do. And, and before we get there, for those of you listening, David just finished a beast in a Spartan race beast. And it was how many miles did you run? I did 14.6. Yeah, it, th- there's a reason they call it a beast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely had to work on some mastery there, some some mind body stuff on, on the last six miles of that race. But thanks for the shout out, man. Yeah, it felt yeah. good to complete it. Completed my trifecta for the year. Uh, that that was a good accomplishment for me. I made that goal last year, and uh, yeah, now it's uh, are we going to do it again next year type thing? But we'll see. Yeah. Well, the reason I want to bring it up too is just because. You know, that's, that's a very physical, obviously, endeavor. And we're going to be talking about how to be a beast, a spiritual beast, uh, with one of our, one of our just actually one of our mentors. I mean, I mean Tiago Prem is on with us today. And he's, uh, he's an owner of a place called the Dharma Temple in Vancouver. And they're starting to spread its wings across Canada and down in the U.S. So I'm just going to tell, tell all of you listening a little bit about this man. Uh, so co-founder, like I said, of the Dharma Temple, it's a spiritual center for elevating consciousness here in Vancouver, BC. He's a modern mystic, and he truly is. I mean, you, once this guy starts speaking, you guys are going to want to listen. I've spent over 20 years uncovering what it means to live an abundant, liberated life. He's also a spiritual counselor who specializes in supporting people in the, in the realm of recovery. And he teaches all sorts of different types of uh, workshops and lifestyle programs to become a, mos- uh, a modern mystic, a modern yogi. and how to implement the, this into your daily life. So Tiger Pram, we're super excited to have you on the on the show, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a real pleasure to spend time with both of you over the summer, and I'm looking forward to spending some more time now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, you know what? Something that, you know, when something that hit me, every time that I get to hear you speak, you know, you just have this way of people wanting to listen. And you don't come across as someone who's, you know, just dabbling in this type of lifestyle. You don't come across as someone who, you know, you should listen to me. You just, you come across so authentically. It's so real. And, uh, and, it's, and it's not common to see someone who's, you know, our age living the life of, of a master and your dad too. You got a wife, your dad, you know, you're, you're living that householder's path as we talk about and the teachings of Yogi Bhajan. And so you're, you're a gift to all of us and inspiration for men. So I was, we were hoping that you just dive into a little bit of what got you here, man. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Um, I was born into a family where my father was a pastor in a Christian church and he's no longer a pastor. He's now a criminal defense lawyer, which is kind of a funny uh, shift in profession. <laughs> But I make jokes about, you know, the mashup of my spirituality because I was born into this Christian family uh, that was pretty like 
this is the way it is, sort of a religious household. Uh, and then I got interested in uh, Buddhist practices as a teenager uh, while I was causing all kinds of problems. And, you know, it's not like I was, you know, the Buddha right out of the gate. I was into all types of mischief. Uh, but for some reason had a, maybe it was rebellion against the uh, practices of the house, but I got really interested in Buddhist practice. And then I went to university and studied comparative religion. And fast forward years later, I'm really deeply interested in the Sikh tradition or Sikh, some people pronounce, but so just so you don't get confused, if you're listening, sick, not S-I-C-K, the <laughs> tradition of being sick, <laughs> but, but the tradition of being asik, which is a, a student of the infinite. So I had a pretty, I mean, I'm talking about that whole scope is 40 years of experience, and I've always felt a connection to uh, mysticism um, and spiritual practice, and I've also been a rebellious person like I asked a million questions I was probably super annoying for any teacher that I had in school because I would make it my point to disprove what they were saying rather than just listen to what was being said um, and so along that journey I guess I got into a lot of uh, trouble as well I was uh, extreme on both ends of the spectrum I would say uh, most of my life I had one foot in the ashram and one foot in the nightclub uh, uh, and even all of that, you know, uh, rebelliousness I'm referring to, it basically made me unemployable as a youth, too. Like, I was a great entrepreneur. I was good at making money, whether it was legally or illegally. But always felt a deep connection to these spiritual teachings. And now, as a father, as you mentioned, and as a partner, uh, I've learned how to direct some of that rebelliousness for a positive impact in the world and for service in the world. And it's been through the spiritual uh, practices that I've done over the years. It's in, that's in a nutshell, basically. But it's a broad stroke, and it's a lot of pain, and it's a lot of study uh, that has brought me here. And then it's a lot of um, learning to be liberated in this life and having a genuine desire uh, not to be right, as a youth, I wanted to be right, but a genuine desire to be uh, free and to take the, they call it the vow of the bodhisattva, like to live a life where um, you give up your own enlightenment until everyone around you becomes enlightened. And I really feel uh, resonant with that teaching. And so that's what I try and do with the work in recovery and with the work in Dharma temple and with the sharing on uh, the podcast and teaching and that kind of thing. And I think because I was uh, always, you know, around music and always a bit of a troublemaker, I have a way of being able to dive into some of these ancient traditions and present them in a way, you know, it's like, okay, how does Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching relate to the Wu-Tang clan? and actually be able to present it in a way that makes sense to somebody, and then they may think about their life in a different way. Well, if I just say, you know, you should read this ancient Chinese philosopher, some people's eyes just glaze right over, but as soon as they hear Wu-Tang Clan, you may have an opportunity to share. And, and I think, you know, for me, one of my primary teachers is Guru Nanak, the first guru of the six, and that's what he did. 
you know, he went, walked everywhere, you know, walked and walked and walked, talk about a beast of a, a miles. He walked all over Asia, into the Himalayas, into the Middle East, all over the place. And he would learn to speak the language of the people who lived there. And, and the purpose was not to get them to join a religion, but the purpose was to connect with the people where they're at and teach them about how we are all interconnected. And I feel like that's the work that I'm trying to carry on and working to be even greater than um, my guru or the, you know, there's 10 of them, but that's the big one for me. Just doing that in a way that people can understand uh, because it's not about knowledge. It's about experience and, and the experience will make you free. So there you go. That's a, that's a awesome. little jour journey through the <laughs> my life i guess yeah. well if you're not on the edge of your seat now you're going to want to listen a little bit more intently because that, that's really important i think what you set up there even just so many people are disenfranchised with religion and and it's it's fascinating to see someone such as yourself who's embraced you know rock and roll and club culture rebellious nature as well as being a, a renegade rebel in, in the world of spirituality and, and redefining what it means to be a spiritual man living uh you know living this human existence and it's really important because it makes it more accessible to people and you know how you said you you really you're here first to serve others and then you know to relinquish the desire to serve your highest consciousness in in a, in a way that that puts you as like a spiritual master you're, you're really elevating everybody around you so how how does um and i'm not sure if i said that in the way that that you were you you know you reflect on but but I think the point is, is that when people are so disenfranchised with religion and everything, how do you, how do you take someone, not that you're trying to convert them, but how do you, how do you open them up to these different ideas that, that can potentially massively change their lives? Well, first of all, uh, you, you can't really change anybody, but you can influence people through your presence. And I don't want to, the other thing is I don't want to paint this process as being an easy thing. It's quite challenging because there's people on all sides of the conversation who say, you can't do it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I'm not just saying the the re religious people on the other side, people who don't want anything to do with religion, everybody is programmed to see the world through a certain set of eyes or something. I was just talking to my partner on the drive home to talk to you guys. Uh, I was saying to her, like, you know, you talk to somebody about meditation and you say, oh, yeah, I practice meditation for a long time. And, and then they say, oh, meditation, I would love to do that. And you say, well, why haven't you done it? And then they say, well, I tried it, but I couldn't do it. And then you're like, okay, well, why can you do it? And they say, every time, because my mind's too busy. Yeah. And, and I like to think or say to a person like that, like, what if you don't have a mind? That's a great starter. Like, what do you mean? What, what if I don't have a mind? And this would be kind of a cool thing to talk to about with doctors, but it's like, what, what if you don't have a mind? What if you have a brain? And what if your brain, the way you experience the world through your brain, is all based on things that have happened in the past, in, in spiritual circles, we call it karma. Karma is not like you put a dollar in the barista's cup and something good happens to you later that day. That's such a ridiculous concept. 
I mean, you try it, but it's not really what it is. It's like, imagine that you have a worldview that's based on your experiences up till now, based on the past. And you think, that's a pretty limited view, but it seems very real to you, right? Your day, you get up, you do this, you think this way because of the, these things that have happened in the limited time that you've been alive on the planet. Then you're influenced also by the thinking that happened in the brain of your parents, and then they're influenced by the brains of their parents, and then they're influenced by the brains of their parents, and then you multiply that by 7.7 .7 billion people, and then you multiply that by all the people that have ever existed on this planet, and now you're starting to get a glimpse of what karma is. Massive equation. And that influences the way that your brain thinks. This limited perspective that seems super important to you. Now, it doesn't end there because it sounds a little bit bleak. But then the universe is the mind. The intelligence that is in all things is the mind. And all possibility, infinite potential exists within the mind. In Buddhist thought, they use the words mind and space interchangeably. You know, space is this vast, uh, a vast part of the elements or the ether. It's everywhere. You can't even wrap your thinking brain around it. And, and so all infinite possibility is inside that universal mind, and it operates in duality, good, bad, right, wrong, love, fear, this, that, uh, and on and on and on and on and on, infinite potential. And then the concept is with meditation, you can tap into that as long as you're not identifying so much with your thinking brain. It's not, you know, it says in the Yoga Sutras that yoga chitta vritti narodaha, which means yoga is the end of thinking. Well, I think people get carried away with that and they think like, well, I'm not supposed to think and then I'm experiencing the oneness. It's more like don't place all of your identity in your thoughts. Because if you do, unless you had like an incredible upbringing where your parents were just loved you all the time, they didn't do anything that caused any sort of traumatic experience to you, and everything was just easy. You may have a thinking brain that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, issues, but for most of us, we've got all sorts of traumas, whether it was intentional based on who you were dealing with or unintentional, and that's how you see the world. But you have the capacity to tap into something that the teachings say that are even greater than your limited perspective, even greater than your addictions, even greater than your self-worth issues, even greater than whatever your trip is. Everybody's got some trip that they're dealing with based on their karmas. And the teachings say the way that you can connect to that universal, the infinite, it's hard to put a word on it, but mind is a good word for it. This vast uh, intelligence, the way that you can connect to it is called guru. And we have this weird idea that guru is some person who's better than you. That's not a reality. Everybody is equal. Like the sage Nanak, he said, nobody is higher and nobody's lower. That's not a reality when it comes to mind. It may be a reality in the realm of karma, mm -hmm. you know, like you may have more money than me because you have a different education than me or you are afforded different privileges in our society because you look a certain way or the, your skin color is a certain way. But that's all karma. The universal mind says that with every challenge, there has to be an equal and opposite, which means a solution. 
to every challenge is contained within the infinite. And you can connect to it through Guru. And Guru is, like Nanak said, the part of the infinite that you can love and meditate on. But doesn't have to be a person. It's more like a principle, something like that. You could see it in a person. You know, you could, there could be somebody who's very awakened, who you feel like you can love and meditate on, and it makes you experience the infinite. But the challenge with that is when you put somebody way up on a pedestal, mm -hmm. then you create the opportunity for scandal because you put yourself down here, you put them up here, and you've, we've heard stories about what happens with that. But if you, guru just means that it's removing your ignorance, removing your idea that you are manmuk, the teachings say. Manmuk means you're listening to the voice of the thinking brain. Like, I'm a this and you're a that and people aren't going to like me and all of your stuff. When instead you could be listening to the guru that's saying there's infinite potential and possibility. You may be in pain now, but the infinite is even greater than your pain. And then the teachings say, how do you tap into guru? Well, through sound, primarily. That's what I practice, you know, satnam, waiguru, mantra. But if those words don't mean anything to you, you could do an experiment. And you could, well, I wouldn't recommend doing this experiment, but just for the sake of the analogy, you could walk around all day and it to, in your mind say, I love you, I trust you, I love you, I trust you, I love you, I trust you, I love you, I trust you. And then after a day or two of this, just notice how you feel. What is your frequency like? And then you could walk around going, you know, I hate you. I don't like you. I don't trust you, whatever. Like I said, I'm not recommending that you did this. But if you did, you would notice that you're vibrating at a different frequency. So you can use NAM, this repetition of sound, to connect to Guru. And Guru will reveal, the teachings say will reveal, the infinite potential that is in everything. So that's kind of how the process works. Well, now how do you deal with people who are very uh, religious or people who are anti-religious? Well, you have to give them an experience of that without you know, becoming dogmatic or blowing them away. Or So one thing is you could say, try this. Walk around every day, say, I love you, I trust you. Or in the morning, take one practice I like is sit and drink three bowls of tea quietly and sit in the energy and the uh, character of love mm. and drink the tea silently every day as a daily practice. And then people start to have an experience of maybe I'm not this thinking brain. You have a brain that thinks. Let's give thanks for that. If you didn't have a brain that thinks, you wouldn't be alive. I heard this Tibetan teacher say, he said, if meditation means the end of thinking, he said, I got a technique for you. Hit yourself over the head with a steel pole and you won't think. And then when the thinking comes back, hit yourself over the head again and it will happen again. And the purpose of him saying that is that's absurd. You know, your, your brain is meant to think just like your uh, glands and organs are meant to uh, produce peptides and hormones. You don't want them to stop producing peptides and hormones, but you don't think that those peptides and hormones are who you are. They're a part of your natural experience. So, and when you hear it put like that, it's not about following rules or dogma or anything like that. But my understanding of how that works, which there are many ways to understand this,
has come through honoring the people who have explored this before. And then without going, oh, I only do this because the rules of the religion say, also go out there and experiment. It's an alchemy. It's a science. Um, mm -hmm. And it has a devotional component. So I try to lead through my own uh, presence, and I do study a lot. I mean, you know, I wake up at 4 in the morning, I do my sadhana, I study the lives of great masters, um, and I look for the teachings and everything, even in film and music. Uh, our teacher, Yogi Bhajan, said, if you can't see God in all, you can't see God at all. And the challenge with people who are uh, dogmatic or uh, extremists or Yogi Bhajan used to say that the people who are fundamentalist extremists and lazy people are the same. So they, don't, they don't want you to think they're the same because they don't like each other, but they are the same. So if you, if you read something from some great master and you go, I don't know about that, I would say this is an opportunity to prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and not with your intellect, with your practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, David. I'm just taking it all in. I love it. I mean, you're just so good at, like Nick was saying earlier, just helping people get it. And oh, but just thanks in, man. Like you, you heard the teachings from all types of people, and there's there's all these different styles. But like Nick's saying, is like there's a presence with you, brother. And when you when you speak to these things. It's it's it just it sinks in so simply and it just makes sense like instantly. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not having to turn the cogs mm -hmm. and the wheels and really try to make sense of some of these things. And I love that you're saying this whole experience thing because one of the things that you know 3HO Men's Camp did for me is I told myself going into that that I was gonna just literally just like dive into this wholeheartedly with all of myself and just see how I came out on the other end. And that experiencing all that for that five days completely changed who I was as a person but if I had come into that you know with some blinders on and some judgment I think like some people do you don't mm -hmm. get that experience and you don't get to, to under get that you don't get the understanding from it mm -hmm. yeah I think yeah. one of the big challenges that's a great point one of the big challenges that I deal with people who are skeptical of you know anything spiritual or afraid because of some traumatic experience around religion or what they heard or whatever it might be. I think the, the challenge is, and what I try and present to people is just like yourself when you went in with an open mind is to look at these things like, how am I that instead of how am I not that? And, and actually do that with anything, you know, even with like with re recovery, like I have to say to people, Recovery means recover your connection to your true self. What's standing in the way of that? You know, most people, something's in the way, and it's usually some kind of habitual pattern and behavior. And if you keep doing it and it keeps blocking you from you showing up as the best version of yourself, you could use some recovery. You know, that's how it works. And so even if you're like, well, I don't take drugs or something, if you start to look at the the drug addict and say, how am I that? You start to develop compassion. If you say, well, I'm not that, I don't have that. Even if it's nonchalant, you make yourself other than or separate from that person. But if you think, how am I that? You know, maybe it's like my, un my uncle really struggled with addiction and then your heart opens to that person. 
that's the that's the oneness that I feel like we're working on in the practices that I do is not to, the easy way is to look at how you're not something mm-hmm. you know and look at the world that we live in and there's a whole lot of that you know you see something that's different uh, mm-hmm. than you and you don't go oh, I'm gonna ask questions about that or I'm gonna lean into that thing that I'm afraid of and explore it you know not Nanak he talked about how you know even the thief if you understand oneness even the thief is the thief of the guru, the thief of the one. And that means they're contained within the beloved, which is true. And that person who's behaving in a way that is other than, you know, the thief, that's not who they are. They're, they're not a thief. They are stealing because something happened in relationship to their karma in the past that has caused them to act in a certain way. And do you think treating them as other is going to somehow rehabilitate that person or give them an opportunity to see who they are? There's no way, you know? And so how do we change that? It's a big issue. Well, where you, how you change it is you look at yourself and you go, when I show up, am I looking at how I am this? It doesn't mean you have to take on the practice. Like I don't eat meat, but I can be in the presence of people who eat meat and I can say, how am I this person and this, what they're doing? And not, oh, how am I not this? And then it creates this hierarchy. No one is high, no one is low. And then I'm able to relate to the person without feeling like I have to take on the practice that they're doing. It's not that. It's not wishy-washy. There are non-negotiables that I have. But the primary practice is how am I this? That's where compassion comes from. And that's the root of all of this work. Mm-hmm. I love that important because I think so many of us have just been programmed from such a young age to to look at right or wrong, good, bad, yes, no, and this is you know, and when we're stuck in that dichotomy, it's really hard to to look at someone else as as self and and to not see them solely as as other and and be judgmental and whatnot. Um, you, you spoke to it. You, you had a great teaching that I just loved and I just I reflect on often uh, whether I'm in a group of new people or teaching or and that's to be the most relaxed person in the room. And, you know, we tie that. Dave and I talk about the, the parasympathetic nervous system and how important that is for healing. But it's important from a presence point of view. And, and I'd love for you to sort of just dive into that teaching a little bit more because the permutations of that are just ubiquitous from a nervous system stress point of view yeah yeah i mean look at the society that we live in in the world that we live in you know we got an inflammation problem on many levels uh, and people are overstressed over caffeinated uh, too much heat in the diet and, and then we wonder why we have uh, trouble getting along you know when maybe we're not as violent as we were once some people may disagree with that but uh, i feel like a lot of the violence happens in the realm of the thinking brain you know you just go online and just look at the way people treat each other and then walking out on the street just pretend like nothing happened it's like the yogi budget used people used to ask yogi budget about astral travel and they'd be like oh i want to do astral travel and he said yuck he said that's where people dump all their garbage in the universal mind. I feel like the, the internet has some of that. You know, people just like dump their crap there. Mm-hmm. But, but anyways, to get to the uh, most relaxed person in the room part is I, I think you have to have some kind of a practice in order to do that. 
Um, and that could be anything, but just to be able to be cool, cool, calm and collected. And I'm not saying that I do that every time. I mean, you could ask my wife and she'd tell you that it's not true if I told you that I did. But, you know, if I, if I do 15% better than I did 10 years ago and everybody did 15% better, we could change the world. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be zero to a hundred. You know what I mean? This ability to just be something's happening, you don't agree with it. Something's happening, you feel nervous. You know, you got to get up and speak in front of a group. Whatever it is, if you can find that part of you that knows, you know. I think I talked about this when I last time you guys saw me talk, but it was getting in touch with the part of you that doesn't know it can't. Mm -hmm. If you get in touch, that's the universal mind. You understand? That's not the thinking brain. The thinking brain will tell you all kinds of stories about, oh, well, remember the last time that you tried that? And remember, you know, whatever it might be, you, you know. And it will pull up all kinds of stories. But there's some part where infinite potential exists and you have access to that. So if you're doing some kind of practice where you're going, yes, I acknowledge that I have a thinking mind, manmuk, I face my, muk is face, right? So I face, turn my face towards the, my thoughts as my supreme reality. You're going to be filled with all kinds of doubt and that's going to create or guilt or shame or whatever it is. And that's going to make it very difficult for you to fulfill your destiny. Mm. You know, you won't feel comfortable as yourself in most situations. But if you're going to a place where you're connecting to the infinite possibility, that could be, I mean, I love nature for that. You don't have to believe anything. You know, to be like if if you ever driven through the Rocky Mountains here between British Columbia and Alberta, you're sitting in the car and you're looking out at these mountains and you don't have a thought inside of your head. It's the same as meditation. You're very clear. You experience that expansiveness. That's also turning your face towards the Guru. It's like the supreme command beyond your own individual thought. You feel very small when you see those majestic mountains but in a very big way. It's like a paradox. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you're doing, and, and I mean, you could also say, relate this to Dharma. Like, let's say your Dharma is to be a doctor and you have a meditation practice that supports you to be a good doctor, but you also have your practice. You have your study. You have all of the things that you're learning from experience with patients. You're learning from teachers that inspire you. You know, all of that is causing you to become the more relaxed person in the room. Uh, the challenge that comes, remember every solution is a challenge. That sounds pretty good. The challenge is, is as you gain knowledge to recognize that all of that infinite knowledge, it's not you. And then you bow. You know, Yogi Bhajan has this beautiful poem where he says, someday the day will come when all the glory will be thine and people will say it's yours and I will deny not mine. What it means is that that drawing all that is along you as in you're bringing it forward. We lost you brother. Can you hear him, Nick? Where did you lose me? Right. Can you go back to talking about what Yogi Bhajan said right I after? I can hear you. Quote? Yeah, right after the quote about Yogi Bhajan. Yep. Do you want 
want me to say the poem again? I love the poem. Say it again. <laughs> okay, I'll say the poem. Someday the day shall come when all the glory shall be thine. People will say it's yours and I will deny not mine. You understand? The thine part is the universal. It, we have the capacity to bring these, you know, it's like, uh, I think Leonardo da Vinci was drawing helicopters like years and years and years before a helicopter existed. How do you explain that? You know, it's like all that information is gained within the universal mind and you can access it and you live your dharma and you bring it forward. And as long as you're not going to a place where it's like, oh, aren't I great? And I'm so, you know, I could say this in words that a seven-year-old will understand because I have a seven-year-old. When you send your seven-year-old to school, you don't go, just so you know, you're better than everybody in the class. And you also don't say, just so you know, everybody in the class is better than you. Both of those are not commended parental advice. But good parental advice in relationship to this and Yogi Bhajan's poem is you're amazing and every person in that class is equal to you. When you understand that, you're getting it, the universal mind. So you live in your dharma and you bring all the things through, but you recognize that you're a steward of that information. You're a caretaker of it. You don't own it. And if you live in that way, there's a sense of freedom that comes from that. Isn't there? You know, it's not like it's all on me and I'm the great so-and-so. And still celebrate the fact that, you you know, it's not easy to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and take a cold shower and do your practice. And celebrate that so that you keep doing it. But all the intuition and the awareness that comes through, recognize that that's coming from somewhere. You know, and it's not just your individual. It's some great intelligence that we can't even grasp. You know, I don't want to call it God because then people is a trigger word, but it's a intelligence that it is in, in everything. I, I heard this teacher say recently, you might like this one. I heard this teacher say recently, uh, he was teaching in Bangkok at a Gurdwara, like a Sikh temple and a little girl, eight years old, she came up and she goes, how come we have to go around chanting? Why guru, why guru, why guru to some, you know, mystical force out there that we can't prove exists that's a great question from a from an eight-year-old and so my friend the teacher he said okay well try this he goes take a deep breath and so she takes a deep breath and then he says now hold your breath keep holding it keep holding keep holding and then obviously eventually what does she do she takes a breath he said, even with all of the effort of your thinking brain, your body is still being breathed. That's what the great intelligence is. And can we get connected to that? It doesn't mean stop thinking. It doesn't mean that your problems aren't real. It doesn't mean the problems of society aren't real. But we recognize what they've been caused by. Karma, the past believing that our own individual thinking is more important than the thinking of the whole, the intelligence that caused everything around you to come into being and to exist in this incredible, I mean, like maybe, you know, how many functions is your liver performing right now? Over 800, yeah. <laughs> right? Like over 800 and, functions, yeah. Yeah, and then you think, okay, so if my thoughts are so important, let's say 
let's do it like this. Your liver goes, all right, you think you're so important? The great intelligence is going to take the day off, and your thinking mind is in charge of that liver functioning. You die. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, wait, what? I'm supposed to? Oh, no. Uh, you know, <laughs> can I call for a lifeline? Like, you know, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. But we put so much emphasis on the thinking, and it doesn't mean it's bad, but it's caught us into a lot of trouble, you know. And so I, I, that relates to the question, like, well, how do you be the most relaxed person in the room? You recognize that if you really get quiet and pay attention as a practice and really listen beneath the surface of the thinking mind and see that that is not the most important part of you, it's important, just like your elbow is important, just like your liver is important, uh, but it's not the primary part of who you are, and you go into that space of ease, you know, that there, there's ease in that. Like, eventually you start to trust that you're, you're covered, that you're being guided. And, and in that space, you know, I'm not saying it happens every time. Like, that was my first time teaching in men's camp with uh, one of my mentors, Guru Singh, in the, in the room. Just nerve-wracking for my thinking mind, you know. The man's been doing it for 50 years. I've taught... I've been in classrooms with him. I've done work with him. I step up there. And if I let my thinking brain take over, I, it would be a mess. Mm -hmm. But I just go, all right, you, you know, you've called me here, whoever you are. So I'm going to step out of the way and allow what's meant to come through to come through. And the ability to do that comes from an early morning practice. You know, it's the only way. It's like that concept of guru that I mentioned, the one that connects you to the infinite. The guru is always whispering. The infinite is always whispering. You, know, you can hear it really well in nature. You get out of town, unplug the phone, get out into nature, get quiet, you can hear it. But every morning, if you, if you do a morning practice, whatever your practice is, even sitting quietly, like I said, drinking tea, that's your commitment to listening. Mm -hmm. The guru is always whispering. Your sadhana, your practices, your commitment to listening. And, and that's where you are able to be the most uh, relaxed person in the room because everything that's happening is your destiny. You're meant to be there. If you weren't meant to be there, you wouldn't be there. And that kind of understanding allows you to stop playing games and chasing ghosts and all the things that we do. It's beautiful. You know, this, this really ties into something that Dave and I spoke about before. Uh, he was listening to one of your podcasts, and there was a theme that came up. Uh, Dave, David, do you mind getting into that? And that yeah, so, you know, I was listening today to one of the podcasts, and you kept talking about, and you mentioned it earlier right now, about being true to yourself. And you said, and try that one kind of deal. Can you kind of expand on what that actually means on a daily basis of when you're actually being true to yourself and then why maybe people have difficulty getting into that consciousness of what that is? Yeah, I think the way that I say it is that, you know, I often ask students this, like who, uh, if I was in a room full of people right now, you know, so let's say everybody who's listening to this podcast was all in a room together and I said, who here wants to be prosperous in their life? Everybody puts their hand up. Nobody is like, nah, I'm cool, just like having a rough go. Everybody wants to be prosperous. So it's like, all right, everyone wants to be prosperous. Well, what is that? And if we went around the room, everybody would have a different definition of what prosperity is. 
Well, so far in my limited experience, what I think true prosperity is, is trustworthiness. And it relates to uh, what we're talking about. You're right, Dr. Nick, because that will allow you to be the most relaxed person in the room. And, and I'll explain what that means. Let's say, for example, I say to you, I go, let's, guys, let's meet David. I'll say to you, David, you and me, let's get together. I'm going to come to wherever you live. We're going to meet at this spot down the road from you. We're going to have a cup of tea. I don't drink coffee, so we'll call it tea for now. No offense to anyone who drinks coffee, but I'm like like a tea sage, and my life is all about tea. And, and, and so anyways, I say, meet me down here for tea tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., and you go, okay, great, I'll see you there. And then you get there at 7 I'm not there. I'm like, what the heck? wonder what happened to that guy. You text me. I say, oh, sorry, man, slipped my mind or whatever. I've got some story. And I say, we'll do it again tomorrow, same time, same place. Tease on me. My apologies. And you go, all right, cool. I'll see you then. You, next morning comes. You show up. I'm not there. How do you feel about me? Not so good, right? Then you think about this. How many times do you do that to yourself? Mm -hmm. This instance happens in two small moments in two days. How many times, and, and this is not an opportunity to feel guilty. Somebody asked Yogi Budget once, he, they said, is there such a thing as sin in the sick faith? He said, well, if there is sin, it's guilt. He said, what? Guilt? He said, you should never feel guilty. He said, never? What if you killed somebody? He said, just don't do it again. <laughs> oh, but so, so... I say that to say don't, you know, don't, feel, don't feel guilty about that. Feel inspired by that. How many times have you let yourself down? You know? How many times do you let yourself down? But if you knew that most of the time when you said you're going to do something, if you knew that most of the time you would show up, prosperity would be all around you. The, the universe would serve you because you trust yourself. And if you're trustworthy, you don't have self-worth issues either. You're worthy of trust. And then the world around you sees you as worthy of trust, and your life will begin to change. So when I say trust yourself, that's where it begins. And, and, and if it's a new thing for somebody to be like, I, I don't really know who I am, or people say, like, what's my dharma? I'm like, oh, you know, there's no way I can answer that. But I can give you some tips and tricks that will help you. One of them would be, like, let's say, you know, you're going to do five minutes of meditation. Let's say you go to like a meditation conference or something and you're like, wow, I'm really inspired by that. When I get home, I'm going to do an hour of meditation. When I wake up, I'm going to do an hour of meditation when I go to bed. And you've got the, this lofty uh, idea of what you're going to do. And before you went to the conference, how much meditation did you do? Zero minutes, none at all but you had this really, you know, elevated experience. And then you go home, day one, you get up, you do the one hour, you get home, you do the one hour, you feel pretty good. Day two, you're tired because you've been at the conference, you didn't get in much sleep. So you don't do the morning, then you feel shitty about yourself. Oh, I don't know if I can say that, but you don't feel okay. good about yourself. And then the evening comes, so you go, oh, well, I better do my evening because I didn't do my morning. So you do your evening. Then you get up the next morning, you do the morning,
but there's something you forgot that you had to do, so you can't do your meditation, so you don't do your evening. You go out late because you're at this event you forgot you had to do, so then you don't do the morning, and you think, ah, well, what the hell, and then you leave it. And then any time meditation, conversation about meditation comes up, there's this lingering guilt mm. you know, around your spiritual practice. That's not, not a great spiritual practice. You know, and then let's say you go, you talk to somebody like myself and I say, you go, I'm going to do one hour, morning, one hour, night. You say, how much do you do now? Oh, I don't do any. Okay, great. So here's what I want you to do. Three minutes in the morning. And they're like, three minutes in the morning? That's nothing. I've been doing all these meditations this all day long at the conference. I've been getting up at 3.30, you know, all this stuff. And you think, listen, you've got to understand that this is about building prosperity and trust in yourself. So when you commit to do something, the juice, the benefit is in your commitment and your consistency. Mm. So if you go, I'm going to, even more than the meditation, I'm going to do it three minutes a day and, and, and not even morning, let's say, let's say three minutes a day, do it for 30 days, three minutes a day. Don't miss a day. Even if it's 1130 at night and you forgot, get out of the bed, do the three minutes. At the end of the 30 days, you will feel incredible that you did that. And then there'll be more room for you to do the next. That's how the trustworthiness is built. And the beauty of doing it around some kind of spiritual practice, it could be anything, whatever you like, but the beauty about doing it around some kind of meditation is it produces that opportunity to listen, like I was saying, to the infinite. You know, and mostly it's nonsense you know, when you're doing meditation. That's why I like mantra and, and music. You know, when you sit there and just try not to, to try to turn your brain off, like it doesn't really work. But if you just go, I'm just going to sit here and be quiet, see what happens for three minutes a day and not miss a day, that's where you start to develop that. And to me, that's what I mean when I say trust yourself, be true to yourself. Because then things are going to come through. I mean, there's another component to that what we can discuss. But uh, when you do that, then you know. Like if we said back the analogy with David, if let's say – We'd gone for tea 20 times, and every time you said that I, I was going to be there, you would know. You wouldn't even need to double-check and confirm with me that I was going to be there, ever. You'd just mm -hmm. be like, yep, he's going to be there. you know. And, and then that starts to spill in other areas of your life. I mean, the other side of that is that you have to be very clear on what your values are. You know? And if you're not clear on what your values are, then you can get lost in all sorts of obligation. That's connected to religious stuff too. Like I'm supposed to do this because my teacher said I'm supposed mm -hmm. to do this because the book says, um, and you know, great masters warned about that empty ritual doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. In fact, all it really does is create guilt. And, you know, as you're talking and telling us this, man, I'm, I'm thinking about just from a doctor's end, and Nick, you could probably, you know, agree with me here. So many people that are sick, that are suffering from health issues. I don't have issues with this self-trust. I mean, that's kind of one of the foundations of why they're sick. Yes. Why they're struggling. That's why they haven't had any improvement, you know, in their life, whether it's from a health standpoint in any capacity. And, you know, and I can't yeah. help but think 
when you when you talk about these small doses you know I, we talk about how we coach people about like taking it in strides and consistency and like you said the juice like you're better off taking sips every day and being consistent getting that sip every day rather than trying to get that full glass that you got when you're at that conference right and everybody always just wants to grab yeah. glass right off the bat but you're right. I mean, I, yeah. it was juice. I'd rather have a little sip of juice every morning for 30 days rather than chugging a glass every morning and then just missing the glass. And yeah. we're always trying to coach and teach people in that capacity to help them get well, to, to get their health back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then yeah. you're talking about this whole thinking brain versus the infinite, right? And, and again, Nick, you'd probably agree with me that many people, the reason they're sick is they're stuck in their thinking brain. Yeah. They never leave it. Yeah. Yep. And even that to add to what you're saying there, even the uh part that says like I have to do the full glass to use your analogy, that comes from the karmic conditioning. That more is better. That mm-hmm. if you do more, then you get a better grade. Then you'll be viewed as better. Then you can be validated. And it's like, no, the deep programming of that is you make a commitment to yourself. You show up, that's where the reward is. It's not for anybody else. It's not about anybody else. It's not for your culture. It's not for your religion. It's not for some god in the sky. It's not for anything. It's not to get a medal at the end. It's because trustworthiness, when you trust yourself, you're covered. And then at the time, you know, my Tibetan teacher, he says, there's no guarantee on the big day when you die There's no guarantee on how that will happen or what it will be like, except one. And that guarantee is it'll be exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And and if you really trust yourself, then the chances of you being able to face that are a lot greater because you're like, you know who you are. You know you are in relationship to this. You can just let go. My, My friend who is just here, uh, teaching a workshop. He's an Ayurvedic um, doctor and Kundalini yogi. His name is Jai Dave Singh, incredible uh, person. I love him. I wouldn't recommend this for anybody, especially if you have a dominant negative mind. But if you're like myself, where I'm like, sometimes I get caught up in the busyness of the mind and forget what I'm here to do. He's got an app. I have to ask him what it's called, but he's got an app on his phone. And three times a day, the phone lights up and says, you're going to die. and he's like oh man i got work to do and that's inspiring but if somebody has a dominant negative mind that will lead to all kinds of neuroses that like you know i wouldn't recommend that but you know that's the reality is you're here everybody is here for a reason and whether you get it this go around or not you know is really up to how much you trust yourself mm-hmm. you know how how important is it that you are taking time to listen and there are things from the past and you know i was just with a friend yesterday who she's a punjabi sikh and she was born into the tradition and she never really questioned the tradition and she feels good about that mm-hmm. and who am i to say well you know you should really like i'm not going there that's not mm-hmm. my job our job as friends between the two of us is to go, okay, well, this is really cool. We both have different experiences and the goal of the spiritual practice where we share some similarities is to be able to have a conversation about it 
see what works and then see underlying that the most important thing is do you are you being authentically you are you cultivating trust with yourself um and and that's what i think being true to you is and that's where i think the great blessings and abundance uh in life that we all want that's where it is you know it's not in more 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 i want i want i want i want i want it's in i trust i trust myself i know who i am in relationship to this because the nature of this infinite reality that we said the universal mind that works in pairs of opposites is that you're going to go through great trials and great pain and great suffering and even disease and death even no even if you are super super healthy you know and it doesn't mean you go recklessly into it like a nihilist and just be like oh I'm, we're all going to die so who cares but you have to acknowledge that that's true and if you know who you are in relationship to it, you can create a little more peace with it, you know. And, and in doing so, you affect the world around you. I love I love this teaching because the the world we live in of, of a perfectionist mindset, always improving, constant improvement. We kind of we can get wrapped up in this idea that the the perfection is the ultimate end goal, when really it's 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 developing this this level of trust. And I and I can't tell you how profoundly helpful this was for me to hear and, and no doubt everyone who's listening because it allows us to get rid of some of that baggage right just because we carry around so much of this persona of who we're supposed to be and, and we start to forget that this is part of this this journey and this self-discovery and awareness um, and so on that note i mean another area that i would love to dive in with you is relationship and then how this relates to relationship but uh, uh we're, we're unfortunately running out of time here and so one of the I mean, we want we want people to be able to find find you, find your work. So, how can we? Um, you know, what are the best ways that people can find you, follow you? I mean, you've got an amazing podcast called Revealing the Diamond, the Dharma Temple Local here in Vancouver. Um, you're going across Canada soon. Tell us a little bit about uh, how how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, Revealing the Diamond, as you mentioned, is the podcast where I share a lot of the teachings. Um, just getting into the YouTube world, so you can check out Tiagra Prem Singh, that's S-I-N-G-H, um, on YouTube. You can check out, I do a lot on Instagram. I don't do, uh, I'm like an elder millennial, so I don't do the Facebook thing, but I do the Instagram. That's what, that's what my, my partner just calls us anyway. <laughs> Love that. So, so, yeah, you can check, out, check it out. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Tiagra Prem. Uh, the Dharma Temple is also on there on Instagram. Um, and the, if you're in town for the Dharma Temple, if you live in the United States, I'll be at Tottenham Fest teaching in Malibu Canyon in May. Uh, so that's another way. We're j I'm just starting to get out into the U.S. and, and share some of these teachings. Um, and we have a Dharma Temple that's going to open in Calgary in uh, the new year. So lots of big things happening. Um, and, and the other thing is I work a lot with people one-on-one -on -one, uh, in the realm of recovery. And as I said, recovery means recover the relationship to yourself, learn to trust yourself. So if somebody was interested in uh, doing some of that work, um, I could send my email along uh, to you guys. And I work with people from South Africa to Australia to Europe to the United States and 
Uh, I like, uh, that's a good, I mean, I love teaching classes and the music and, the, but to really make an impact, well, you probably know in your uh, practices, when you really get to know a person, you could be of service to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and people can book you for events too. Uh, you yep. Teachings abroad and whatnot too. So yeah, sure. you're, I mean, it's such a gift uh, that you're local here and I, and I, I want to make more of an effort to get down to your, your space and uh, continue to follow everything you're doing because it's it's amazing work, brother. And it's Thank been you. an absolute pleasure to have you speak on this podcast with us today. And for all of our listeners, I mean, if you liked this, which I'm sure you you loved it because his teachings are all this amazing, listen to his podcast, check out his stuff. I mean, I'm addicted to it. I'm constantly listening almost every week now, and you always get some amazing nuggets out of out of what he's teaching. So. So again, man, many thanks. We need to have you on again. I learned a ton today and I just love, I love listening to you teach, man. You're anytime. So, yeah. Just, anytime. I'd love to come back on and so it's a, I know we get busy, so we don't get to uh, hang too much, but this is a good way to hang out and live along with us. Absolutely. Buddy. This is great, man. All right, gentlemen, lots of love to you both. Have an amazing day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to The Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.